0: Well, good morning. Since Easter, we have, as a church have been looking at the meaning of Jesus' resurrection for our day-to-day lives. We've been examining some of Paul's letter to the Church of Rome together. And today we're going to look at the end of Romans 8. And as I was thinking about this chapter in Romans, it made me think about a story that I've shared with some of you before. A seminary professor was asked once what their favorite part of the Bible was. And this professor said that is a very hard question to answer. But if I had to choose between the Old and the New Testament, I would choose the New Testament. And if I had to choose something in the New Testament, I would choose one of the letters of the Apostle Paul. And if I had to choose one of the letters of the Apostle Paul, I would choose Romans. And if I had to choose a chapter in Romans, I would choose chapter 8. And if I had to choose a verse in Romans, I would choose chapter eight, verse one. There's therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That verse in this whole chapter is an amazing chapter and I would encourage you to read it this week, to reflect upon all the beauty of this passage. There are some amazing promises given to us in chapter eight. It begins with the promise of no condemnation and it ends with the promise of no separation between us and God. And this paragraph that I'm about to read for us is at the end of this great chapter. This passage we're going to look at as a summary of many of the themes that Paul has been talking about in his letter, especially chapters 5 through 8. We get in our passage this morning a call to celebrate our security in Christ, and Paul has been teaching this for the last few chapters. We get to see and believe and know that God has done and continues to do good things for us as his children. So let me read for us from Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one, more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for this wonderful chapter from the Apostle Paul, this wonderful chapter from you and your spirit, and we pray that you will remind us of your love and that you will encourage us and wherever we are with you right now, whether we are excited to be here, we are numb, we are angry, we are sad. Father, wherever we are, thank you that your spirit promises to meet us through your word and we pray that would happen now. In your name, amen. So, I shared in a sermon last year that occasionally, when Pastor Aaron has assigned me a a passage to preach on, he would say to me, You know, I've given you a softball passage. Meaning, I've given you an easy passage to preach on, full of great truths, and something easy to share with the congregation. And I got to tell you that on Tuesday, when I came into work, I began reading over this passage. I read a commentary or two, and I started thinking, Man, this is actually a softball text for sure. This passage is beautiful and has amazing truths and promises to celebrate together. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. That all in all things we are more than conquerors. That tribulation, distress, or danger will not separate us from the love of Christ. That if God is for us, who can be against us? So I left work on Tuesday And as I'm walking home, I'm thinking about how pretty straightforward this text will be to preach. And then I got home, and like many of you, I'm sure, I heard the tragic news of the 19 children and two adults that were killed. 19 children, two adults brutally murdered. How does that fit in with what we just read? If God is for us, who can be against us? So many families this morning are gathering to worship in Texas in grief right now, and do they feel that nothing can separate them from the love of God right now? On top of the 10 African Americans that were killed a few weeks ago in Buffalo, who were just trying to shop for food, and the Taiwanese church in California that were gathering to worship when a gunman came in, or all the murders in our city. What do we do with a passage like this, with the reality of our world? You know, in the midst of pain and questions of deep sadness over another senseless killing in our nation, we have to ask, is this really a softball passage to look at? It is hard at times to believe the amazing truth of this paragraph of hope and love. You know, someone I read this week said, God's love for us is the ultimate assurance, stronger than any logic. This love is not an idea to be worked out, but a fact. But honestly, it is hard at times to believe God's love is factual when we experience deep pain and struggles and suffering. It's hard to believe it when we think about those 19 children. So this hasn't been an easy passage for me this week to work on. And honestly, one of the things I needed to keep doing was reminding myself of a phrase that one of my seminary professors would say often in class. He would say, abuse does not negate proper use. Abuse does not negate proper use. Killing of any kind in this world is abuse to the world that God has created that is supposed to be good. Death is an abuse to God's good and perfect creation, which he made in love for us. And darkness of present suffering might hide the truth of the light of God's love at times, But the unshakable evidence, the truth that we see throughout Scripture, including this passage, is that God is love and that God does love us. And here's the thing. Paul, who wrote this passage, knew great pain and suffering and struggle. What he lists in verse 35, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, he 100% experienced in his life on this earth except for the sword when he had written this. But very soon after writing this, he was put to death for his faith. So everything he listed in verse 35, he experienced personally. And I want us to think about that for a minute. These words of truth, of God being for us, of God's love never being away from us, of God providing all we need, was written by someone who experienced more pain and suffering than probably most of us ever will in our lives. Paul is not writing about God's love away from the pain and the struggle. Paul is in the midst of pain and struggle as he writes these words that we're going to look at. And even in the struggle, he gives us a thrilling, ecstatic words of confident assurance that God's purposes will be accomplished. And so in our pain, in our doubts, in our laments, and in our questions, may we see these words of hope and promise. In our broken world that we have again seen this week, We don't deny suffering, we don't try to shake off the pain, but may we see this truth even in the midst of the pain. Paul and his suffering needed these words to help him not deny the pain, but to enter into the pain and still have hope. And we need these words as well, whatever struggle you're going through today or will go through. We need this beautiful passage of hope as we continue to lament our broken world. And we need this building crescendo of truths that Paul is giving us here. He's been talking about the last few chapters on what we can celebrate in the midst of struggles. So Paul begins this section by saying, what then shall we say to these things? Well, what are the things that Paul has been talking about? Well, the last few chapters, Paul has laid out the beautiful picture of salvation offered to us. The hope that God justifies us. That God makes us right and offers us peace from death and sin. The things Paul already laid out in this chapter alone is that God gives us his spirit and he calls us sons and daughters. And he says one day glorification will come. One day there will be a time when everything will be made right and there will be no more pain and suffering and needless and senseless killings in our world. So then what are we to say to all these things? God is for us. God is for us. That is the sum and the substance of the gospel that Paul has been talking about, that God has not left humanity in our weakness and sin. He has not turned his back on us. God is for us. But we struggle to believe this at times. We struggle to see this truth often. Paul says in verse 31, if God is for us, then who can be against us? But then we look around in our lives and in the world and we think, There's a lot of things that are against us, the world, the flesh, the devil, and it is true they are against us at times. These categories of hardship that Paul lists in 35, tribulation, distress, and danger, they are against us. Some of you are experiencing great pain and suffering right now, and it's pressing up against you where you feel like you can't even breathe. The indwelling sin in our lives, the addiction we can't overcome, the lust that consumes us, the anger we can't control, feels like it presses up against us day after day after day. That voice that whispers into your ear, you are not worthy. You are not good. God is disappointed in you. God is not for you. This happens to us over and over again, but even if these things press against us, if God is for us, these things do not have the power we let them have in our lives. If this is true, if God is for us, then these things that press on us do not have the control we allow them to have. God has given us all we need to know and believe that he is for us. Paul gives us what we need to look at when we have those times when we doubt God's love for us. Paul gives us the evidence in verse 32 of his claim. If God is for us, who can be against us? He, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with all graciously give us all things? You know, in the midst of attacks, in the midst of trials and struggles, In the midst of these sadness and difficulties in life, those times when we begin to doubt God's love, when we feel alone in our pain, our calling is to remember the great sacrifice God has given us already. Our calling is to remember the cross as a proof of the greatness of God's love and the proof that God is for us. Now perhaps today you are here and you're not sure what you think about God. Perhaps you're here today and you're wondering, is there any truth to the claims of Christianity? Perhaps you're here today and the pain of this past week has made you have more doubts than you've had in the past. And I wanna encourage you, you are not alone in your questions or your doubts. But as you question, as you examine what is true and what is not, as you doubt what is true and what is not, I would encourage you to think about what it might mean that Jesus died you imagine in your questions and in your doubts to think what if God actually did give his son for us what if God already has done the hard part of giving his son to us and Jesus as a son has already done the hard part of dying for our sins what if it was actually true that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us And this is a truth that as you explore faith, you should cling to. And this is also a truth for you today if you already believe in God and Jesus. If you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus today, let me encourage you as well to fix your eyes on the cross of Jesus. Let me encourage all of us here that are followers of Jesus to truly meditate on the meaning of the sacrifice of Jesus. Because let's be honest, many of us believe in Jesus. We believe and affirm that he died on the cross for our sins, but we live like the reason God is for us is because of what we do or don't do. We act like God is for us because of what we give back to him. We act like God is for us based on how well we keep his commands. We act like God is for us because we are better than those people. God is for us not because of anything we do, but because of who God is and what Jesus did. The evidence of God being for us is not found in any of our actions and our thoughts and our motives. It is found in the beautiful gift of Jesus given to us by our God. And if the most valuable gift that God can give in Jesus on the cross for our salvation, how much more can we believe he will graciously give us all things? Paul continues to dig deeper into this idea by asking a few questions in this passage. The first question is this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Paul is wanting us to see that the answer to that question is nobody, nothing could prosecute us as guilty or wrong if we are in Christ. But this doesn't feel true. Right? There are times, I'm sure, like me, where you've experienced the reality of your sin and it comes into your heart and it comes into your mind and you see your errors and you see your failures and you see your guilt. You know, I just said in the sermon that many people believe that God is for us based on what we do or don't do, but there's the opposite truth as well. Many of us think God is not for us because of the things we do or don't do. Many of us feel our actions and our motives and our thoughts charge us as guilty and without hope. And then Satan, the great accuser, can easily point to our sins, the ways we don't love God and love others, and he could say, you are guilty. Satan can easily point out the many ways that we run after other things than God, that we treat people horribly, that we think we're better than others. And this is often true in our lives. So how does Paul answer the question, who shall bring me charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, he says. God has declared that all who believe in the gospel are in the right. God declares us right even when our present actions and thoughts are completely wrong. There is no charge that can ultimately stick against us if we are in Christ Jesus. And not only that, Paul says there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 34 says the amazing truth is that no one can successfully condemn us because a Christ has died Christ was raised, and Christ is at the right hand of the Father, defending us from all condemnation. Christ, right now, is at the right hand of God the Father, defending us now. This is what we're celebrating today on Ascension Sunday. Today, all over the world, churches are celebrating the truth that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Jesus is right now, at the hand of the, right now at the right hand of the Father, defending us for condemnation, and he is interceding for us right now. Jesus is praying for us right now. What a comfort to know that in our lives. Early in this chapter, Paul mentioned how the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know how to pray. There are times, perhaps this week, it's been for you, where you just don't know what to say you don't know how to speak, you don't know what to ask for. And we are promised that the Holy Spirit meets us in those struggles with groanings too deep for words. And that is a promise given to us. And not only that, but in our passage, we have the promise of something great as well, that Jesus himself prays for us, prays for our needs, prays for us in our struggles. What a beautiful reminder of the love of God. Brothers and sisters, church, God's love is amazing. God is for us. God declares us right. God protects us from being condemned, and God will not allow anything to separate us from the love that he has for us. As I've already mentioned, Paul lists a bunch of things that feel like they have the power to make us feel separated from God. And when we face distress, we face hardships, when we face tragedies, we might feel distant from the love of God. Faith in God often wavers during times of disappointments and trials, and doubt comes quickly to many of us when distress knocks at our door. One of the reasons why I believe this is true, at least this is true for me, and it might be true for you as well, is we don't like the fact that we're not promised freedom from pain and trials. We want a God who loves us enough to prevent us from suffering, and instead we have a God who meets us in and through our suffering. You know, as I said at the beginning of this sermon, we get this call to celebrate our security in Christ, to see and believe what God has done and promises to continue to do for people like me. But what He doesn't promise us is that we will never suffer, that we will never face pain and struggles in this world. Paul expresses this truth in verse 36 as he quotes from the psalm, the lament that was read for us from Psalm 44. This psalm is a rough psalm, like many of the psalms are. It's a complaint from the people of God to God, on why he's not stepping up and helping them right now. They are suffering not because of things they did wrong, but because they were following God. And in that following of God, they suffered and they cried out to God. Suffering has been going on in this world since our first parents ate of the fruit and broke the covenant with God. But suffering doesn't mean God doesn't love us. Suffering doesn't prove that God is not for us. In fact, God provides us hope in our suffering. Paul is able to say the promise on all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What this means and what maybe we can only cling to today is that suffering and pain and struggles will not win out in the end. Suffering and pain and even death is not the end of the story. Christ on the cross defeated the power of death. Paul writes these words to this church in Rome, knowing full well probably that they and him are going to face death soon. But Paul writes these notes and these truths in the midst of pain and persecution and suffering, and he is still able to say, in all things we are more than conqueror through him who loves us. Paul's whole argument in the midst of pain and trials is undergirded by God's love. And so he can promise the original readers, and he can promise us today that no one can bring a charge or condemnation against us, that nothing can separate us from God's love, even death, and that we are more than conquerors because of God's love. The love of God, already enjoyed in the present, will outlast and defeat all the enemies, including death and sickness and pain. I mean, just hear these words of Paul about our God. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's not just communicating information here. He's trying to persuade us to accept what is true and for that truth to transform the way we live and love. Do you believe that you are loved by God? Do you believe that God loves you more than we could ever understand or believe do you know that nothing nothing you have done this morning nothing you're going to do this weekend nothing you have done can separate you from the love of God if you are in Christ nothing the more we believe this the more God will use us to show his love to others The more we believe how loved we are, the more we can live in this broken, painful world as agents of God's love and restoration. The more we believe this, the more it will help us in our struggles and our pain. Brothers and sisters, you are loved by God. We are loved by God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. I pray that you would help us because it's easy to say God is love now, but then we walk out into a painful situation that we're going through and it is hard to believe that. So use your spirit to point us to your son to remind us of your love. In your name, amen.